0: and be dependent on no one. Welcome, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills, here with Zoe and Heidi, joining us for this special episode, and
1: for a second time on the show, if I recall, the Reverend Ben Ulladolin. Gentlemen, how are you? Doing great, Willie. I'm glad to be here for our long-promised gardening episode, and we will be digging into a lot of that, a lot of those fun topics here and in, in this hour. So, but things are going well here. It's actually very nice and warm today, and I've been able to be outside a little bit to do some uh, projects around around the place. So I'm kind of enjoying enjoying this nice weather. So you're above the 30s now, <laughs> for the moment, yeah. <laughs> Ben, how are things in
2: uh, Michigan? Kind of rainy today. Yesterday we had beautiful weather, though. We got all the way up to 70. It was nice and sunny. I busted out the lawnmower for the first time this season. Yeah, just kind of stuck in some rain here, but uh, that'll pass and we'll be into into nicer weather soon, I'm sure. Yeah, very rainy here in central
0: Illinois as well. Rainy and windy out where I am, but it's always windy. That's okay. We're expecting some warm weather to come soon, and that'll be that'll be nice to be able to get outside and actually get some things done that need to be done so with all that said, that's gratuitous weather posting for this week, but we're going to talk about gardening, so gentlemen, tell me a little bit about what you're doing garden wise this season
2: Ben I've planted a few more cold tolerant crops already up here, turnips, rutabaga, radish, some of your you know boring root vegetables, boring but Nonetheless, uh, you know, hardy. steady and hardy and yeah, right. predictable. They'll keep you alive, right? Once things uh warm up and we get past the frost dates, I've got some squash I want to put in. And I've got a little bit more of a hardy Indian corn as well that I that I planted. It's supposed to be safe to plant this early. We'll we'll see. I may have pushed it a little bit. Yeah, Indian
0: corn is 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 fun too. It Grows really tall usually. You get some nice, makes some nice fodder shocks out of it. Uh, when you're when it's all you, said and done, so <laughs> wholesome American decorations, yeah,
2: yeah, dark reds and golds and stuff like that. And then into June, looking forward to the berries coming out. I've got some strawberries and blueberry bushes. So uh, very now, nice. yeah, those are those are always fun being able to go out there in the early summer with the kids and just eat some berries straight out of the garden.
0: We expanded the garden plot this year. Not really much in the ground, just because the weather's been. And signs wise, I'm pretty late on potatoes, but just wasn't able to get them in due to the weather. But, you know, we'll be okay there. Uh, Experimenting with tobacco again this year, especially with that extra space. Plenty of plants ready to go into the ground. A lot of seed to sow, uh, but it will it'll grow fast once it gets in. Uh, Like you, turnips, carrots, root vegetables, very, very handy, very good to have around. And so, yeah, we'll we'll go from there. I don't think I'm going to end up with uh, hundreds of gourds again this year, <laughs> like I did last year, but that was a fun project. <laughs> and we've got herbs already started and in some separate containers ready to go, and that'll be good. That's the garden thus far. I think we might experiment with some more greens and things like that to see how it goes, because those are always handy to have around. And maybe toward the end of the season, lay some kale as a good cover crop, so to speak. Uh, Kale tastes like disinfectant, but it is it is pretty it's pretty good for you and pretty (laughs) hardy.
1: Zoan, how about you? Well, considering I live in the frozen north, my growing season is quite short compared to where you guys are. So I'm pretty limited as to the things I can, you know, theoretically grow. But I'll be putting in some of the usual things like tomatoes, potatoes, you know, beans, peas, uh, some of Ben's Indian corn, stuff like that. Some nice things that I'm looking forward to here, where my, I'm living now, is the rhubarb is starting to poke up, so I'm looking forward to harvesting that here, you know, in the nearish future. Also, I have uh, several cold-hardy apple trees that apparently hmm. produce a bazillion apples, so we should have a pretty good fruit harvest, but that's, that's kind of where we're at.
0: Right. We do have, uh, and I think Zell and both of us have got chickens going right now as well. Right. Not quite gardening, yep. but at least adjacent. So, and chickens provide plenty of fertilizer, and breakfast, and breakfast. <laughs> if, well, if, if you properly sex them, um, yeah, exactly. Don't, don't be waiting on your roosters, okay, urbanites. <laughs> don't don't be waiting on the roosters to lay eggs. You'll be waiting a while. Um, so, so yeah, um, fun fun stuff. So, why are we talking about gardening, Zelwin?
1: We're talking about gardening because. It's one of the things that the Lord has given to us as a way of providing the things that we need. It's a way of God showing us his bounty, you know, that the Lord gives us these things, but he has set us to the task of tending the earth and, you know, taking care of all of it. And I really do think that gardening and being, you know, in close connection with the earth is a is a wonderful way of helping us to see just how much God does for us. Because when we're so far removed from the earth that, you know, we we don't really have any connection to it except maybe, you know, under the concrete under our feet, we can sometimes forget what it means to be thankful for what the Lord has provided to us. So I think talking about gardening and the importance of gardening is a way of helping us to remember God's providences as well as, well, just doing a wholesome wholesome thing, right?
0: (laughs) Right. Gardening is simultaneously a reminder of the fall but also a reminder of man's original state you know it's closer to where god placed man originally but the very ground we work even if it's very difficult like in where i grew up in appalachia or probably where you are zelwyn or or relatively easy <laughs> like where i am now in <laughs> central illinois we are still very much at the mercy of thorns and thistles and the ground takes work and we have weather to deal with and all those sorts of things so the effects of the fall are are still very evident in it and and so if we want to spiritualize this in some way or if you want to if you want to do a work as prayer thing here's a healthy way of doing it it's a time to provide for one's family of course too but also a reminder of where man was placed what man was called to do but also now what man has lost and and how much harder man has to work to live that out and i think it's a very interesting thing for us as society becomes industrialized and mechanized and globalized. As you say, Zalwin, uh, we become further removed from the earth, further removed from what is necessary to sustain life, and thus further removed from an explicit trust in the providence of the Lord. And so it's no wonder that as society um, becomes reliant upon mass transit long distance shipping and electronic devices, she begins to forget the Lord. And I I don't think I'm overstating that fact there. And and I realize that we're recording this while we're all doing video services and and live streaming this and that and doing everything. And the irony of this also being a podcast. But nevertheless, (laughs) these things can be good. They can also be used for bad. And so we're just talking about getting back to the earth, getting our hands dirty, and pondering what the Lord has done, what we've done, you know, thinking about creation a little bit. Ben, what are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, you know, dovetailing on that, there's kind of a spiritual discipline to it as well, just learning patience, you know, a reminder of mortality, right, to Adam's curse that he will return to the ground that he works. So there's a humility, and there's a patience, you know, the book of James talk uses the example of the farmer and, and his patience waiting for the fruits of the earth. And Jesus uses some of those agriculture metaphors as well. But, you know, just uh, there's a, I guess there's a spiritual discipline there. There's a, there's a training, there's a waiting, there's a knowing your place, trusting in God, all of those other things that go into this.
1: One thing that I think is kind of telling in our, in our current kind of industrial age and mass transit, you know, quick supply lines, something that I think we're starting to really feel in this age of disruption, how, you know, how often do people take for granted the fact that we can get fruit at virtually any time of the year, you know, that I can go into the grocery store I can buy my apples or I can buy, you know, vegetables at virtually any time of the year. Whereas, you know, in ages past, I think you would grow to appreciate it that much more when it took you, you know, you had to wait till next season before you got this fruit again. Right.
0: And that's a fairly recent, Phenomenon, a very recent uh, benefit that we have. I mean, it's within certain people's lifetimes that are still living, right? I mean, older the older generations were starting to see some of this, but they're still they were still very much used to the seasonal lifestyle, especially when they were younger. And we'll talk a little bit more about supply chains and such in uh, in the second uh, section. But we we become kind of entitled in a way, or, or expecting that these things will always be there. Now, all that said, when we're talking about gardening, that also implies food storage, canning, preservation. It, it it implies that we will be storing up stuff for the future. Does this contradict what our Lord says about not worrying about what we'll eat or, or how we'll be provided for?
1: <laughs> well, I certainly don't think that it does, because when we're dealing with the, the Lord talking about anxiety for the future and to not be concerned about food and clothing... There is such a thing as being overly concerned about these things and to say like, you know, how am I going to make sure that I have enough? You know, and I got to hoard up my toilet paper or something like that because I'm not sure of what the future is going to be like. I mean, I'm, I'm just using an example. I'm not trying to judge anyone's hearts. But then when you're coming down to providing and taking care of your family and the things that you are called to do, God does expect for us to work for these things and to keep some things but also to recognize that it is his gifts to begin with. And I think that's right. that is something that w- what we've forgotten here is that this comes from God even if he is using us in his ordinary ways to help provide that for us.
0: And you know um commercial farmers fill that that gap to grocers things things like that I mean there's sure. nothing inherently wrong about those sorts of things either. Grain storage comes up a whole lot in the Old Testament and the New Testament too. It's really quite amazing, uh, you know. <laughs> so it is assumed, and Jesus does use the example of a man storing up too much, or not too much isn't the right word. He's storing up with bad intentions, right? But he's storing up thinking that this is going to sustain him forever, and that's not the point. We, if we boil this logic down too far, we'll, we'll end up saying, well, nobody can save anything. Right. And there's not too many Lutherans, or excuse me, too many Christians out there that will have a problem with a savings account or investments or something like that. But it's the same <laughs> principle. So if, if we break it down, and if you really want to be all pious about this, I suppose you should say, well, I should only ever have enough food on hand for one meal, which, of course, no serious person would argue. And so it does come down to a matter of, okay, is food storage itself an uh, idolatry? No. It can be done in a godly manner, and indeed God seems to expect us to do that. And we'll talk a little bit towards the end about preparedness in general and and where in the Bible we might get some ideas about that. But canning food is not the same as hoarding gold, just to to look at something shiny and to have more than the other person.
1: That's an excellent point on that one, but, you know, just thinking about storing up things, you think of, like, the Sabbath year concept within the Old Mm -hmm. Testament, and the, the question is actually directly asked, you know, how will we have enough to eat during the Sabbath year? And God says, I will command my blessing on the sixth year so that you'll have enough until, you know, the eighth year. So basically, right. you'd still be eating through for two years. So the the very idea of storing food is something that God commands. He just doesn't right. want it to become, well, well, like well, like he says to the Israelites, when you get into the land and you have all these things that you forget the Lord your God. You know, and that's that's really right. the concern.
0: Yeah, and you and you see, you know, when God is miraculously feeding the Hebrews um, you know, from heaven daily and they try to store up more than they need. Again, this is this is a specific incident here with right. a specific blessing and curse attached to it. Their faith is misplaced, they don't listen to the word of God, and that's what happens. And in that particular instance, they were called to wait on manna. We have not been given that promise. And You know, I would remind us that not every specific promise in the Bible was given to every Christian. Right. That's kind of a hard lesson that the makers of religious plaques and religious artworks uh, (laughs) never seem to learn. (laughs) But it is what it is. So, you know, but the imagery of gardening in Scripture is everywhere, too. I mean, literal gardens, but then metaphorical gardens. I mean, our Lord himself, in some sense, even being placed in a garden. At least there's gardeners around. Right, <laughs> if that's how you want to translate that that verse, he's. But I mean, even the image of burial—it's it, it, interesting. I mean, just how uh, intrinsic the principles of gardening are to creation: seed imagery, growth, sprouting, germination. Well, germination is not a biblical word; that's a modern word, but fertilization, uh, things like that. It—it's it, a beautiful thing. And when you start to unpack this, it's almost as if it's by design. Imagine that imagine that. So there it is. Men were made to be
2: agrarian to one degree or another. What was Adam's task in the garden? Tending the garden, making it flourish, making things, you know, leveraging things, making things work as fruitfully as, as they could or should. His, his task was to work in the garden. There was work before the fall. It wasn't the same as the the cursed work that we know now with the thorns and thistles and tears but there there was work work is good work is satisfying and and that was adam's role as god's image bearer on earth was to make things bring things to their full potential tend things adam is called to exercise dominion over creation do you believe
0: that that dominion is taken away with the fall or that call to dominion still stands but made extremely difficult in light of the fall
2: I mean I would certainly say the latter because he's he's still given that task to to work sure after after the fall it's just that it's it's with greater difficulty it's with suffering I guess we could probably say with less predictability probably less fruitfulness less reward less ease but nonetheless that call to dominion you know it is certainly still there we talk about first you know first article gifts right you've mentioned this already in conjunction with farmers and grocers and um and, and their their calls and their station in life and how god serves us through them i think you could also think of it that way as well you know god has placed various people at in various positions along the food chain as part of his providence so so there's there's a yeah there's a there's a dominion there
0: right and we've been you know talking a lot about gardening and and therefore vegetables But the meat question, the livestock question, gets a little more interesting after the fall, and especially after Noah. But I don't want to get into um, the question of meats specifically, because this is not a vegetarian podcast by any means. (laughs) Zolan exists on a diet of purely beef or Northwestern tourists?
1: (laughs) 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 Just mostly beef, yeah. And maybe we can talk about husbandry in a different, at a different time, because I think that's also an important thing. But gardening being something yeah, I mean, that is kind of common to us all, you know, something right. that we can all engage in. To yeah, one and or animals
0: another. come in in the dominion side, too. And, that's, and I think that that's really sort of the proof here that man's dominion continues. To what degree the image is lost, that's a fun theological history to talk about. But nevertheless, man is still man. Man is still different from animals. Sorry, Richard Dawkins. The chimpanzee may well get a driver's license somewhere, but that does not make him human. He may well get some sort of civil rights, in a sense, in certain crazy countries, right? But man is not an ape. Man is not an animal. And man is different. Man is above the rest of creation in that way.
1: I feel like we should be quoting Planet of the Apes right now.
0: Yeah, I I know. I I was thinking that same thing as I was saying it aloud. (laughs) And anytime you can bring Heston in on the podcast, it's good, right? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's it just it's just a it's a strange thing, and it, we're not saying that animals aren't important, but nevertheless, we don't hook our wives up to the plow or something <laughs> like that, or our children, or you know, we we hook an animal up to a plow. There are certain tasks reserved for animals, for example, and certain animals make that sacrifice and end up on our plates so that man might be sustained. And what I'm saying is, is very sensible and yet more and more out in the world, people are starting to deny it. Uh, They're starting to say, no man does not have this dominion. And the next thing you know, we won't be able to even eat the plants because somebody will say they're somehow sentient. And the next thing you know, we'll all be, I don't know, I guess bugs are still okay to eat. According to some people we'll be eating. Well, you know what? We'll be eating soylent green. There, we've got two Heston references, (laughs) and we mentioned the Exodus, so I'm going to count that as at least two and a half Heston references. (laughs) Well, All right, we're at the end of the first segment. We'll be right back with more Word Fitly Spoke. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. The mission of Word Fitly Spoken is to put the Word of God at the center of all of life. To find out more, check us out at wordfitlyspoken.org. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Zell and Heidi and Ben Ulladolin talking about the biblical principles of gardening. Now, we talked a little bit about how gardening isn't a sin. We talked about the benefits to it. Now let's talk about why we would want to do it. I mean, other than the fact that the grocery store, I mean, at least, you know, a month ago, if we were recording this, we could say the grocery store is always full. Who cares? What are some practical reasons a man, a Christian man, might be interested in
1: gardening? Well, if, if only just to be able to provide for his family, right? I mean, we, I think we, we tend to think of providing for the family in kind of a very wide sense. You know, as long as I'm bringing in some kind of paycheck, then I'm going to be able to provide for my family. And there is a sense in which that is true.
0: Yeah, when all, when all the cogs are working, when the wheels are greased and the wheels of progress are turning, everything uh, works out well until mm-hmm. somebody leaves a couch on the tracks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or a bat sneezes in China, as it were. That's right. But, but it's, it's just one of these things where, at a very basic level, part of a calling to be a father, for example, or to maybe just to be a parent in general is to be able to provide the food that your family needs because honestly that's what they need besides the spiritual things that's what they need the most i mean all of these other comforts are nice you know but if you can provide a house for your family to live in and the food to put on the table i mean what what more are we really what more do we really need
0: right a burning barrel to throw their smartphones into <laughs> <laughs>
1: hammer to build the cabin out in the woods but go on and a a ham radio setup
2: (laughs) i would add in there too with providing for the family not not merely providing food but you could add to a discussion of the quality of food yeah sure you know they talk about nutrients being depleted in a lot of conventional agriculture products you can you could potentially grow things that are more nutritious things that might be more in line with you know diet sensitivities and allergies are kind of all the rage right now and you can you can be sensitive toward those considerations as well but the the quality not just you know merely the food itself
0: yeah you can make your own decisions regarding pesticides and fertilizers that you're comfortable with you you'll you'll find things that are edible you didn't know was edible sure you know certain plants that you would never think of eating hey this is green and i can eat it so let's try it out <laughs> john koopman reverend john koopman if you're listening I didn't know that you could eat hostas until I saw your garden post. And so we hope you're listening to this episode because my church has a ton of hostas and I might have to uh, raid them if this gets uh, a little crazy.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and just thinking like in my own experiences too, like gardening and being close to the soil can also teach you what is edible, even what's just growing wild in your area too. Cause you know, there's all kinds of plants out in Eastern Montana that you never would have Mm -hmm. thought would be edible. Yeah, well let's start
0: with the humble dandelion. There's a yeah. lot of nutrition in a dandelion, a lot of things you can do with a dandelion and it's in most of your yards.
2: If I'm not as long mistaken, as somebody's not poisoning it. The dandelion wasn't native to North America. I think the white man brought it over as food or as a medicine.
0: Hmm. Interesting.
2: You know, and now, now here is a food that literally grows like a weed. You know, weeds they yeah. <laughs> they're they're stubborn, right? You don't you don't need to tend them, you don't need to baby them. If you, can, if you can find food that, you know, grows like a weed or, or certain things that we label as weeds that are edible, you know, that's, uh, that's something too.
0: Yeah. And, you know, if your lawn, if, I mean, if, if you have this freshly sodded, like Hank Hill quality lawn, you're not going to find a lot of this. But <laughs> in depending on where you live and what your lawn looks like, you could have any variety of edible plants. Um, even certain herbs can grow wild. Plants and herbs are are good both for nutritional purposes, but there are also uh, healing benefits to certain ones too. They're they're super seasonal, so get them while you can, dry them while you can. This is all allowing a family to become not only prepared, and that's a loaded word we'll talk a little bit about later, but sustainable, self-sufficient in a Christian way, in a God-pleasing way. And and it's also a family activity so the, that the father, the wife, the children are all involved in this process or can be. So your kids are getting sun. They're getting their hands dirty, which is actually uh, good for them. Um, they're learning. There are just tremendous practical benefits to this. You know, it's it's just pretty wholesome, fam. And so, yeah, learn your herbs. Learn your weeds. Don't eat most mushrooms you see, though. That would be my, <laughs> my admonition. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's moral season back where I'm from. Do they do they hunt morel mushrooms where you guys are?
2: They do in Michigan. Yeah,
0: yeah. So those are good if you know what you're looking for. On average, just don't eat the mushrooms. This is not this is not the Joe Rogan experience. <laughs> this is word fitly spoken. <laughs> so there is a calling to provide for family, and I do think that the skill building, in addition to the cultivation of crops, is part of that calling. We, we've we come to sort of see the vocation of father or mother in in career terms, in careerist terms. So I am called to provide for my family. I have this, this job that I go out and do, and that's what provides for my family. When really it's a more wholly orbed type of function between teaching the children the basic disciplines of life. But here now we can teach them even more basic disciplines, right, of, of how you feed yourself, and how God has so designed the earth. It's a it's a tremendous task, and, and I think you'll find that it can be very rewarding. It's just like watching your children grow. Well, let the children see how uh, plants grow and how the harvest comes. And then you can teach them about Jesus Christ, our Lord of the harvest. Now all those biblical illusions are making more sense to them. So it's uh, just tremendous benefits from this. Well, before we say we hope you try it, why should we try it? Like if Zellwyn, for example, if you could try to sell someone on starting even a small backyard garden, what would you say?
1: I would, I guess my, my biggest thing, besides uh, a lot of the things that we've been talking about so far, you know, dealing with the benefits of it and being in connection with the earth, it is also a high degree of a, a self-sufficiency of a sort. And I think that we cannot overlook the importance of being able to provide, even in circumstances when things aren't as well-oiled as they should be. Because, you know, we're dealing with a, a time of disruption. We're dealing with a period of time in which even the, the food supply chains are beginning to break down to some degree. I mean, it's very difficult here in North Dakota, or at least it has been. It's starting to get a little better to find things like flour, for example. And even something as basic as, you know, flour to make bread is a is a very easy way to provide for your family. So I think if the, the, the biggest reason that I would argue for this in all of this is to be able to still be able to provide in this wholly orbed way, even when things are less stable than they used to be. Right? Yeah.
0: The word recession proof is thrown around a lot these days. Mm-hmm. And yet it is kind of true. You know, we're going through this current unpleasantness and something tells me the Amish are going to weather the storm a little bit better. Sure. For example, you know, there are practical considerations and I don't believe in fear mongering or anything like that. And I know that people are getting a little bit anxious because at the time of this recording. OK, so let's say a week ago, the news we had the officials saying there's plenty of food. Don't worry about it. OK, now the media is is coming out and saying hey, food shortages are coming. Now, whether you believe that or not is up to you. <laughs> you know, why would a Tyson executive take out an op-ed if he wasn't sincere, right? And right. <laughs> and so besides the, but, but it is true that the supply chains could be interrupted. Now, it's going to take you two weeks to a month before you see that, okay? It's not like plants going to shut down and then immediately there's no food. But you're already seeing in a lot of your stores in America and probably across the world, too, that meat especially is hard to come by. And oddly enough, produce has been pretty much okay through this. But a lot of staple foods are still hard to come by. So somewhere there's a problem with the supply chain. It's increased demand. Okay, it's shipping difficulties, whatever it is. Now, these are tremendous benefits. These are tremendous gifts that we have in a great supply chain that typically keeps stores very well stocked. And we don't want to minimize that. And what a great benefit it is to be able to walk into any store and basically get whatever you want. If you're a normal American consumer, if you want something a little more boutique, I don't know. I'm in middle America. You're, you're probably going to drive a little bit for that. <laughs> but, but beyond that, you know, you can typically get what you want, but now we may be seeing, well, we are seeing some shortages and maybe there's severe shortages. well, Okay, you can't get the produce on the shelf at the store, but maybe you go down into your cellar and guess what? You've got a whole winter's worth of food stored up. So the the anxiety of that and the fear associated with that, which is spiritually damaging, by the way, is mitigated by a garden that, uh, that produced well for you during the season. You know, I don't know how concerned you guys are about supply chains breaking down or things like that. Ben, what do you think?
2: I I think there's certainly reason to be I guess concern is a good word you know like you said not not fearful but nonetheless being being sober and and looking at things as they are actually happening in the world you know you there's there've been some videos going around of of farmers in in places like Oregon Texas sure, even yeah. in Wisconsin you know um being being forced because of market forces or or whatever to just you know cull herds or dump dairy or or leave onions or potatoes to rot in the field, right? So I I think there is a call to you know not to panic but to to be sober and concerned and you know to take to take appropriate precautions as a father, as an American, as a as a Christian man.
1: Can we bring back victory gardens as a thing? I, th- I think they're already coming back. If you tried to buy seed during all this. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, just even even a little while ago, with with that that very concept of a victory garden in the United States, and this idea of we can you know provide for ourselves and you know win a war, as the case was with a victory garden, but uh, just provide for yourself and be able to weather any kind of hardship.
0: Victory you know? garden for all of these edge lords out there who just you know always want to ridicule patriotism in every turn they get because they think it's theologically proper or something. Uh, they, they don't like the term victory garden. So maybe we need to call it a loof garden or something. Would that help?
2: <laughs> victory would be theology of glory. And we That's right. That. We don't want
0: a theology of glory garden. We want a theology of the cross garden. If any, if no, if any of the, those men had stood behind a tiller in hard ground, they'd know it was already theology of the cross.
1: But, We're going to grow strictly <laughs> artichokes and <laughs> and the rutabagas. That'll, that'll right. be it. That's That's right. no, no, no. <laughs> right. um,
0: now might be a good time to to make friends with a local cattle farmer or something like that. The, if community starts at home, this is a good time to, to be self-sufficient at home and then to realize that communities, the broader community, towns and stuff, actually do have the ability to fill in this gap. You know, really that we've had since the 60s, the rise of packaged meats and the supermarkets and, you know, refrigerate. I, I realize there's been refrigerated transport since cowboy times, but come on, you know, sawdust and uh, and ice blocks are a little bit different from what we have today. <laughs> so, yeah, it's um really this is another case where the family unit, the biblical family, becomes the model for sufficiency. And then localism, again, can be shown to be better than a globalist marketplace, at least as far as food security for families. Now, food security is an issue. If we didn't have advances in agriculture, and particularly in, in industrial agriculture, uh, we might not have the food surplus that we have. That is true. And more people may be hungry. I don't want to deny that. And yet, despite the fact that there, a, uh, that there is a, a huge food surplus right now, there is less food available to the consumer because of the way our economy is set up, both globally and also uh, more local things like restaurants and, and schools and things like that. And so that's what's happening here, though. It's not the food supply. It's the supply chain. And that's what we're talking about here. The supply chain between your family garden and you is however far away your storage is. Right. And so you don't have to worry about you know commodities in Brazil or something like that. Um, again, not to be an economic lesson. This is meant to be a, a spiritual uh, pondering about gardens. But nevertheless, this is this is where we're at. So that's the supply chain. You know, uh, our position on uh, in the industrial society is pretty clear here. So, from a, <laughs> <on> a practical <laughs> sense, then, if if someone wanted to get started, but th- but they're thinking, okay, you guys live in places where you've got a little bit of land that you can till up and f- and farm. Well, what about me? I skinny jeans and a lot of flannel, <laughs> and I wear glasses that look a lot like grillses, and I live in an apartment, and I code for a living. What can I do? How can I grow anything? How can I be an agrarian in any sense of the
1: word? Selwyn, is it possible? Is there is there hope for the urbanite? Oh, yeah. I do think so. I mean... Let's say if the, for the sub-urbanite, you know, there's always a portion of even a, a very small yard which could be transformed into, you know, a vegetable garden of some size. But even for the, the pure urbanite, the one living in the apartment, for example, there's a surprising number of vegetables and herbs, for example, that can be grown in pots. And they're actually specifically bred to be grown in pots. So as long as you have, you know, a, a window of some kind or, you know, While we still have electricity, you know, you could get a grow light and you could actually grow these things indoors. You know, right? It's not. I mean, it's obviously going to be quite a bit different from say having a plot outside,
0: right? But yeah, there's hydroponic options for certain things. There are um, yeah, any number of things. You can even grow potatoes in a large enough container if if you need to. You don't even need dirt to grow potatoes. That's true. Potatoes are magic. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) and associated with the Irish, oddly enough. (laughs) <laughs> and yet they're very much a, a, a uh, we have Spain to thank. Well, I guess it's, we have the new world to thank for the potato. Apology. Right. <laughs> but nevertheless, it gets associated with the Irish. So thanks. Okay, here's who I'm going to thank. I'm going to thank the, the, the people of the broader Andes community. I'm going to thank <laughs> the the Spanish conquistadors. And I'm going to thank um, the people of, of Ireland for that. For the potato. First time it's going to happen. Just you know.
2: think how many uh people in the Andes had to die learning which part of the potato plant was poisonous. That's you right. Know. Hey. So, can't make an omelet. You do well to thank them for that.
1: That's right. Um press F for the Andes, but go on.
2: I don't know about the uh the extreme urbanite per se, you know, what Zellwin said certainly applies there, but even even for those who have any kind of yard, something that you can do right now towards starting a garden any season any time of the year something you could actually do is simply start composting put those banana peels and those coffee and grounds good, yeah, very good point. and things yeah. like that you know just just start a compost pile most people yeah. are in a position to be able to do that you know and then and then from there once things uh you know in a year or so or or, or maybe sooner depending on how well you do it or your local conditions you know when when the time comes you can use that little bit of compost to start a little plot and you know grow what you like and by baby steps ease into this kind of this kind of practice this kind of discipline this kind of lifestyle but uh, a compost pile just starting to compost your kitchen scraps or other items which are able to be composted it is, is is a start
0: yeah i think that's excellent advice composting i mean there there are other ways that you can try to even Long-term storage foods, you know, if you, if, okay, so you can't grow something or you think you can't grow something, you can take dry beans, you can even can those so that they'll last longer, rice and other grains, things like that. You know, just learn, learn a little bit as you go.
1: You're mentioning canning, for example, that would also be an excellent discipline to get into maybe as a first step because you could buy produce, for example, that was, you know, on sale or something. And mm-hmm. uh, if it's of good quality, you could, you know, learn how to can it because canning is actually not that difficult of a discipline.
0: Yeah, so- I mean, this is where, especially for the urban folk, too, farmers markets are the cool thing. I know that right? some some governments are shutting them down now because, I don't know, everything's a vector for this thing, allegedly. But let's say you're free enough, you can go to a farmers market later on in the season. There you can get vegetables that you can preserve. You can talk to local farmers and see what they do. Maybe they're living in a situation like you do and have a lot of valuable advice. You know, loving your neighbor is also talking to your neighbor, learning about them and uh, learning from them. And maybe, you know, you can teach them something too. Uh, you know, like how to maybe get their live stream camera to not be sideways or something like that. (laughs) There's all kinds of things, all kinds of things we can do. Well, guys, we're coming up on the next break. We'll be right back with more Word Fitly Spoken. As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a shield to all them that trust in Him. The book that sits on your shelf, The One Gathering Dust, Word Fitly Spoken, asks you to once again take up and read. Hear the words of the only wise God and be saved. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills, here with and Heidi and Ben Ulladall, and talking about gardening, preparation, how to be a good uh, provider for your family, all kinds of fun stuff. So we've talked about gardening, some practical things, some biblical things. Now let's talk about the idea of preparation in general. The nomenclature typically used nowadays is a prepper. Can a Christian—is there a Christian form of prepping— Is it a sin to want to be prepared for disaster or shortage or things like that? Touched on it a little bit early in the episode. What do you guys think?
1: I don't think that it's a sin to be prepared. You know, I think we can certainly misunderstand our Lord's injunctions about being anxious about tomorrow, you know, and not wanting to be anxious or to to rely on God for things. But I certainly don't think that it's wrong to... Be prepared for any given situation because, you know, God has called on us ordinarily to be ready for certain circumstances and to be prepared for, you know, the uncertainties of what is to lie ahead. And I, I guess I'll frame it this way. I do think that this can be taken to an extreme and that there are certain forms of, I'll just say, prepping that can be, you know, problematic but for the most part, you know, just being prepared for, and you know, even say a seventy seventy two hour bug out to to really use the terminology here is not a, is not a an unchristian thing to do.
0: Well, uh, just point of order, uh, seventy two hours would be more of a shelter in place, right? <laughs> if you bug out for seventy two hours, that's more of a camping trip. I know, I know, but, but you know what I'm saying. Here? No, I do, I do. I'm just giving you a heart time. <laughs> It's wise to have 72 hours of food or even two weeks of food. Not everybody needs the missile silo bunker. Not everyone needs the cabin. Okay. And it is kind of funny. We've shifted from kind of this, let's say a couple generations before us, the old lake cabin up in Michigan, right? That's not the kind of cabin we're talking about. The days of that and pensions are long gone. And so, yeah, uh, so we're talking about long-term preparation Is it okay? And what's the difference between sinful preparation and not? And Zelwyn, you're you're really starting to to really make the good point here. So sorry I interrupted you. No,
1: no, no, that's fine. And Ben, you can certainly jump in in any time on this too. I just think that there is, I mean, it is a good and a godly thing to be ready. You know, to as as Jesus even goes on to say, you know, that those who have no sword sell what they have and buy one you know so th- right. there is there is certainly a biblical precedent for just being ready for what's right. coming ahead
0: well and with that passage there goes pure pacifism too <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> if if you're in a place where you constantly need to be bailed out you know how useful are you to your family or to your neighbors you know we Oof. we all we yeah. all understand that accidents happen and we're all willing to help someone out who's in need. But what if you're that guy who is just constantly, you know, needing, needing help, constantly needing to get bailed out and then multiply that. Yeah. And then multiply that by, you know, what's our nation's population now, you know, 300 some odd million. If a disaster hits, all of a sudden, you know, millions of people are are caught totally unprepared. That's obviously not a good place to be either. If the extreme prepper, is problematic. Then we would also say, I, I think you could say, the person who is completely unprepared and unable even to sustain themselves in their household for seventy-two hours or two weeks. I think we could argue that that is likewise a problem as well. How how, how useful are you going to be to your neighbor if you can't even prepare for yourself? Well, right? well we like,
0: opened we opened with a reading from First Thessalonians four. And Paul there says, work with your hands, as we told you to do, so that you'll be what properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So there is a principle of self-sufficiency within the scriptures. And Paul, even in Ephesians, again, is going to talk about the, the need to work, to provide for oneself. And I don't think that biblically that means simply for the day. We always take the admonishment of scripture that we will say, tomorrow we will do this Lord willing if it's the will of the Lord, that is absolutely true. But that admonishment to be prepared to try to not be caught off guard is, is, is a good and godly thing. And and there shouldn't be shame in that. You can go overboard. You can, we we keep using the toilet paper example, but like if you're (laughs) grabbing 150 rolls a trip, just, just so no one else can get it, then it becomes a problem, for example, or hoarding, goods for emergencies can be the same as hoarding money just for the sake of hoarding it. And and it takes some discernment to find out which is which.
2: That guy in that, Brooklyn who hoarded the uh, the medical masks and was going to, you know, resell yeah. them at a 700% profit or something. Yeah, who
0: who would do such a thing, you know? I don't know. <laughs> but uh you can look you look up that story for yourself. It's really interesting. Yeah, 700% markup, uh, hoarding medical masks. Hmm. So yeah, that's not what we want to do, and that's not how we want to uh, prepare. And we certainly don't want to build our, our, our futures on the backs of other people's weaknesses or or financial or health vulnerabilities, right? Right, right. I, I don't know. It's almost like we're arguing like our grandparents did. Put the money under the mattress, uh, make sure the cellar's ready for winter, and and, <laughs> and just go from there. Again, it comes back to a community spirit, too. And again, we're first and foremost looking toward families, although single people could certainly... Be prepared to, but I do find the community aspect of it to be continually um, interesting. You know, to go back to to First Thessalonians here, I hate to keep harping on that, but so that you may walk properly before outsiders, a uh, Christian's conduct, a Christian's conduct is part of their witness in the world too, and that Christians, although the world hates them, are still called to have a good reputation among the world, which is a very interesting thing. You know, you, you think about. Back in the Dust Bowl days or even up towards like Minnesota, which is totally not Dust Bowl, but when you would have a farm market crash, right? And the uh, poor farming family was about to lose their farm to the bank. And you have these stories of the community showing up, making sure they didn't lose their farm, you know, willing to do what was needed to be done to stop some fat cat from coming in and and taking away their means of livelihood if need be. I'm not condoning thuggery. I'm just saying it happened. And it was an interesting way of caring for one's neighbor. And this is sort of what we're talking about here, though, a return to a community that says that the people near us, that our community, our family is important, and that God has called us to protect them and their property and what they might have. And it begins at home, protecting ourselves, doing what we can to provide for ours immediately in the home, and then without that. And I think the, the catechism actually reflects this. And I know you guys love the small catechism. But this is in the ninth and tenth commandments there. So, you know, there there you have it. And this is this is this is the thing. I think people, when they think of preparation, because of movies and such, think of it in a mad max kind of way. That you're just <laughs> gonna be yeah, I mean, and, and I and I want it to happen, you know. <laughs> but it's not gonna quite be like that. It's going to be a return to a communal way if there is some kind of collapse.
2: Just Just think about what you know what it would look like in, in your neighborhood or your stretch of the woods the the morning of you know that collapse, are you going to be reaching out to neighbors, those who are near you um, and, yeah. and do you do you want to be prepared yourself with your own provisions? You can go out somewhat confidently yeah. ready to help your neighbor rather than going out in utter panic, you know please please help me, give me this i've I've totally right. been caught with my pants down. In the initial days, it's it's going to be dangerous,
0: and possibly in the later days too. But here's the thing. If if you've taken seriously the uh, the idea that you must have some food stored away and water and things like that, you're going to be able to at least have that stress not taken away. If you've taken other means to secure what is yours and what is meant to care for your family, you're going to rest a little bit easy. And if your faith is in Christ, so that you don't fear death because you believe and know that the resurrection is true, then that's that much less stress in the time of pandemic. So what it takes to survive a pandemic, what it takes to provide a societal collapse, is faith in the Word of God and His promises, and you know what? Yeah, obedience to them as well, and and, and understanding the practical advice the Lord gives. And I figured, you know, we kind of can go back to the godliness episode that you were on there and see if we can just trigger as many people as possible. <laughs> but but it is true. I mean, having faith, um, having having lived a life according to what God has called us to do is a great comfort. I mean, we're not comforted in our own words, calm down, in our own works, calm down. But knowing that, okay, God has asked us to provide for us, we are pretty In his providence, he has seen to it that we are well-sustained here. Um, We are in a dangerous time, but we know that everything is in the Lord's hands. We know that Christ has died for us, that Christ has risen for us, that he has promised to raise us up as he is raised. So we can weather this storm better than those who don't know Christ and better than those who don't have some quarts of tomatoes downstairs.
2: And, (laughs) I mean, you
0: could be in, in a worse position
2: there and i think the the prepping can put you in a in a humble mindset if done properly you know it's not the illusion that i am endeavoring to kind of be my own earthly savior i am endeavoring to utterly avoid death you know we all know that that's inevitable or we're, we're all going to die but you know the more you think about trying to prepare for a end of the world as we know it situation if you're if you're honest you're going to become incredibly humbled by that. You're going to realize I cannot keep myself alive, you know, by my own endeavors solely, you know, although it is good to try and be prepared for, you know, those events when they happen. Uh, Nonetheless, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's an incredibly humbling thing. And I think this just kind of is to bolster what you were saying, Willie, that you just have to commend yourself to the Lord's providence and realize that whatever comes is by his gracious ordaining and trust that no matter what does come and whatever the earthly outcome is nonetheless we have a a home um, a promised land in in heaven after all of this is done so i guess all of that is just to say that i think this teaches you humility and and faith if this is done in a proper christian kind of a way mm-hmm. i think any temporal setback
0: we can maybe use uh, as a way to reflect upon our need of God. It's like a young man, on average, is is pretty healthy until he's not. You know, that first time that someone is really racked with a serious illness, it makes him really appreciate the health that he had and want to get it back. Or maybe he just keeps on eating poorly and, you know, <laughs> attacks him or something. But generally, you know, at least initially there's a drive to get it back. The problem with food storage... And that sort of thing is, you might not have the opportunity again. And so it's, it's hard to learn that lesson the hard way. And I suppose it is with health, too. But. And so we're here not to scare you. And we really don't like doing these you know, straight-from-the-headlines kind of episodes. Uh, this, is, this is where we're at. Which, which by the way, Zelwin, UFOs are in the headlines now. So <laughs> <laughs> when, when's that episode happening? Project Bluebeam. Plot twist. <laughs> they're not from outer space but (laughs) they're from the hollow earth. is what I'm saying. Basically. Go on. But anyway, this is not meant to be, okay, the end of the world is coming. You better start throwing some seeds out in the ground. It is simply to say that even in good times, this is a good thing for you to do. It is given to us at the very beginning of human history. Excuse me. At the very beginning of the history of creation, only a few days separating there. If God made man and first calls man to do this, then tilling the soil and enjoying the fruits thereof is part of what it means to be man, part of what it means to be human. And then, of course, providing for your family is part of what it means to be a man. That's in your DNA. That's that's who God made you to be. And so we should take these things seriously. Uh, We shouldn't just be simply consumers, but rather producers, understanding that all comes from the hand of the Lord. We live in a consumerist society. You understand that. And that's usually couched in terms of conspicuous consumption, which is bad. You know, buy the video game, watch this horrible Star Wars movie. Sorry to the Disney Star Wars franchise. (laughs) I know some of you guys like, you know, do this, consume, watch this, buy the new product, do this. But God calls us to produce, to be fruitful in a couple of different ways. Consumption is necessary. Nothing wrong with consumption in general. um, Because guess what? You have to consume what you produce, right? But consumption just for the sake of consumption, just for keeping some uh, fake numbers moving is not good for you. It's not good for society in in general. So we got to go back.
1: Well, maybe, and maybe another way to build on that is just to point out that When we're dealing with the issue of these, you know, supply chains which we have and the food security which we have as the highly industrialized West, that is a blessing. I mean, we can't overlook that. And it is, you know, a benefit to us that we don't have to worry about our food nearly as often. But that is very much the exception of history rather than the norm. And to realize that what we have is an exceptional gift should not blind us to the fact that it could, like you say, potentially go away. And again, I'm not trying to fear monger. I'm not trying to to stir up panic. All I'm trying to say is, is that gardening would also and, you know, this this kind of being prepared would also help us to understand just how much of a blessing we really do have, lest when we come into the land which we have. And we see all of these things which God has given to us, you know, our hearts become hard and we become, you know, just kind of complacent. Because I, I do think one of the great difficulties that we face in our highly industrialized society and the supply chains, even with their disruption and the, the anxiety which we feel because of their disruption is a very serious feeling of complacency. And I think mm-hmm. we we cannot we have to learn how to not be so complacent. Piggybacking on that a little bit too, let's say
2: it's not the end of the world as we know it. Let's say, you know, the stuff doesn't hit the fan in our lifetime. Would the gardening all be worth it? Yes, 100%. You know, for a lot of those reasons that we've laid out, there there's a lifestyle thing here. There's an there's a organic, holistic thing going on, you know. The simpler pleasures of, of life, you know, just enjoying a strawberry that was produced in your own garden and being thankful to the Lord for that blessing. Whether or not we had to literally depend just on the work of our own hands to try and stay alive or not, I still think it's fair to say that it, it's good to be out there in the soil and amongst the plants. It's good to be out there sweating, using your body, even if you know, we didn't end up needing it for an end-of-the-world type situation.
0: Very well said. Well, gentlemen, we're coming up on the end of this. Hope the uh, audience has enjoyed this topic. If you want us to talk about more stuff like that, let us know. Any final words
2: as we uh, come to a close? I think what's really going on here, Willie and I have been memeing an old order Lutheranism behind the scenes (laughs) for a while. So we're, we're working on an Ordnung, both of us live in Amish there's Amish presences in both of our areas and they have an ordnung which kind of prescribes how people are going to act. So so far we've got um King James Bible, the Lutheran hymnal, head coverings, gardening, big families. And that's really what what's behind all of this. We're trying to ease you guys there in baby steps.
0: No, we're going to we're going to bring you to it. It's going to be <laughs> going to be pretty good when it happens. You're going to like it. Uh then the heresy no, trials begin.
1: No, I, I think maybe as a way of kind of closing all of it, it's just, it's just a way of saying that you know we should continue to trust in the Lord to provide all of these things for us and also recognize that he has given us a task to do in that work of providing. And when we are working in coordination with the will of the Lord, even in something as simple as where we get our food from, I think things will just go better in general.
0: Well, very good, guys. Thank you very much. Ben, especially you, thank you for joining us. Always a pleasure. Hope to have you back soon. Thank you. This has been a Word Fitly Spoken. If you like what you heard and want to know more, check us out at wordfitlyspoken.org, facebook.com, slash wordfitly, or Twitter at wordfitly. I'm Willie Grills, here with Zoe and Heidi and Ben Ulladalin. God love you, and God bless.